Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 31. So like when we look at that like from a faith perspective, like how many people because of not giving themselves room to fail, because of not asking questions, have their faith in a space of idolatry. Like they can hold onto it, they can grasp it. Alicia Crosby is a faith-engaged community organizer, activist, and the co-founder of Center for Inclusivity, a Chicago-based nonprofit that works to foster inclusive communities through public forums. It's a space for thoughtful dialogue where people of all faiths, genders, and sexual identities can learn to seek and be fully known. Alicia has her master's degree in social justice and has a deep appreciation for dark chocolate, Sour Patch Kids, Jesus, and shenanigans. Uh, Before we dive into a conversation with Alicia, uh, Happy New Year! Uh, Welcome back. Welcome to Season 2 of Quirology. I'm so excited for what this season is going to bring Um, Over the break, uh, we hit the goal on my Patreon page to be able to start offering transcripts of every episode of Quirology. So I'm so excited to debut that with this first episode of Season 2. There are transcripts now available, and there will be transcripts available thanks to all of your support for the podcast. So excited to make that happen. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who supports Corology financially. Uh, it really does make a huge difference in the sustainability of me being able to produce this show every week. And as those of you who follow me on Instagram know, I just got a shipment of Corology swag in the mail. Some stickers, some buttons, super cool stuff. I can't wait to start like toting it around with me. Uh, I'm going to be sending those out to people who are at the $10 level of support and above on Patreon. So if you want some Corology swag, uh, hop over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash support, make a pledge for $10 or more, uh, and watch your mailboxes for some really cool Corology gear. Uh, In this episode, Alicia and I sit down to talk about inclusive spaces, uh, what inclusive spaces are, what they're not, uh, and then how we might start fostering sort of an embodied sense of inclusivity in the circles that we engage with. Uh, So excited for this episode. Alicia asked some beautiful questions that uh, have been sitting with me uh, in this episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. Alicia, hi. Hey. 
How are you? How's it going? Good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm super excited to be talking to you today. Likewise. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So to start, a question that I start every episode with, um, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? So, oh, that's such a big question. So I am... I identify as Black, as queer, as pansexual. Uh, I'm a woman. I have recently taken to calling myself Christianish. <laughs> um, oh, what are, I mean, there's so many ways that like we identify, right? Um, what have I not hit on? I, I guess I would be, you know, politically progressive, if not flat out radical. Um, in in my beliefs, um, I am from the U.S., um, a Chicagoan. I'm a New Yorker. Like so many identities that I can um, can claim. Um, but yeah, like so that question of um, how does my faith influence my identities? I think it's actually the other way around for me. It's you know my identities that inform my faith. Um, because, you know, I mean, speaking about things like, you know, politics or like, you know, ideology and being more progressive, like the way that I think about faith, the way that I think about, you know, my spirituality is, you know, it goes hand in hand, like, you know, with my beliefs. And I've definitely found myself stretched faith wise because of like things like commitment to justice and like working for equity for people and and that really being like one of my heartbeats. But then conversely, um, I think that, hmm, how would I say this? I think that, you know, my faith, you know, drives me to, to be like loving and compassionate and empathetic, um, when it comes to others. And even when it comes to myself, right. Um, too often times that we forget about ourselves, like when we talk about faith and when we talk about like identity, like everything is like external and about like, you know, God or people, but like, sometimes we don't turn the, I guess our, our sights inward. And so like, I, yeah, all, the, all, the, all that comes together, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds like a very kind of holistic, like everything kind of, it sounds like just kind of flows into who who you are. I mean, it sounds like there, there isn't a ton of maybe separation between those. Is it, that, is, am I hearing that well, or is that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's fair to say. I mean, I wonder sometimes if like we think about relationship, like as it relates to identity, and how, like, different things imprint on each other, right? So, you know, my, my Blackness and, you know, one of the things that I guess I identify, one of the ways I identify is, is being a PK, right? So I grew up as a pastor's kid within the Black Baptist tradition. And so that definitely has, you know, an impact on, like, you know, on the things that I believe and, you know, the way that I've grown, the things that I've held to be my truth, Um yeah, but, like, our identities, like, influence things, like spirituality, like faith, like how we make meaning of the world. And, um, yeah, I mean, things, I do see things a bit more holistically and, like, and look for, you know, the way that everything works together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about, like, my mind is going to, I, I was in your workshop at the Reformation Project on mm-hmm. sexual ethics, um, and, and I was thinking about this kind of in, in, in preparation uh for chatting with you but i feel like this kind of ties in too of like i i think i i went in with this kind of 
expectation that you were going to like teach us something. Um, and instead <laughs> you like facilitated a space where it, it felt like there was, there was room for many different voices um, and kind oh. of room for a group in like, it was like we were coming up with, with the teaching together in a, in a <clears throat> very unique way. Um or, or maybe not unique, but a way that I, I personally have never experienced before. Yeah. Um, and, and it sounds like I, I, I'm like drawing ties between the way that you're describing your identity and the way that your faith informs that with kind of even how you you embodied yourself in in that space. Um, and I'm wondering if, yeah. if you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, and it actually really warms my heart to to know that you like that this was a unique experience for you, and that you know you felt that invitation in because I mean that's definitely intentional. Um, one of the biggest gripes that I have, um, like in the world of like you know convening for like you know conferences and workshops and whatever, is that oftentimes it's that someone stands at the front of the room. And like and they're standing while everyone's sitting. So even like I mean, there's a, there's an hierarchy there, right? And it's like and it's manifested like physically. And this person is an expert, and they have all of this wisdom to get away. And the people are there to just receive. I call bullshit on that. I think that we all have wisdom. We all have things to contribute to a space. And even if someone is maybe learned in a, a given area, there's room for us as facilitators, as teachers. And I think that this is a product of like of having, you know, good teaching skill is to like extract the knowledge that's already there. Like, yes, there are things that everyone needs to to grow in and and to deepen their understanding in, but at the same time, there are other like, you know, insights and knowledges and and things that are available to people. It's just that so many times we go into spaces and people aren't encouraged to give up themselves as well as to receive. And so it's really meaning for me, meaningful for me as a facilitator to do that, to like to help people see it's like you've already got things that like you're coming in with. Like, I mean, I'll help you unlock something new just by asking questions <laughs> and, you know, and then providing maybe some contact knowledge that you might not have in this given area. But like, I'm not the only one who's given away knowledge here. You're not the only ones who have to learn. There are things that I as a facilitator can definitely learn and grow in that I can only get to because we're in relationship with one another in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I, I think I, I love that idea of, of, of relationship being kind of like maybe, maybe like the, the hermeneutic of the room. Whereas I think mm -hmm. so often we go in like, I mean, I think a one, because this is just how we're like, quote unquote, used to conferences being done. People teaching and, and uh, participants like just listening and taking in like you mentioned we think often we we often like want to be taught too because it's like mm -hmm. there's almost a sense of not i i don't i don't want to say like laziness but like a mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit more of a passive experience than and than mm -hmm. engaging in learning through relationship um mm -hmm. and, and i love yeah. that idea yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, people, I don't even think that it's just that people want to be taught to. People want to be told. Mm -hmm. like they want to be told, what do I do? And then how do I do it? And I think that that has something to do, you know, with, I don't know. I think people are, are people are afraid to, to experiment, to try, to fail, to, to admit ignorance, because we don't have a culture that's like very, 
open to two things like failure. Like failure is just like, oh, you failed. Like there's no coming back from that instead of seeing it as, you know, an opportunity for growth or a way to like examine the need for growth. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think that like, this is like, you know, I mean, teaching I think is, it can be incredibly edifying, right? Like if people are, are pushed to consider things in a more relational manner, instead of it just being like really prescriptive and like this one size fits all like, you know, method of whatever. If they, if people like, you know, are pushed to consider like these things in relationship with one another and the relationship that's, you know, experienced in this one context doesn't necessarily translate well into another. I wonder like, you know, maybe how much better things would run, how much better, you know, people's interpersonal rea- like interactions would, would fare if like we looked at like things contextually and, and then, you know, out of that, you know, shifted gears and like in made space for like those unique experiences and, and encounters. Yeah. I, I, I am I'm thinking about my personal journey, like in thinking about like my sexuality and like that wanting to be told, like mm-hmm. what or, or coming from a context of where I was told and then mm-hmm. having to like break out of it. And then again, coming back into like, wanting to be told something else and instead of having to kind of flail if it felt like (laughs) because Mm -hmm. there wasn't really any space built in to at least my church context Mm -hmm. to have that space to do uh, you called it like contextual work um Mm -hmm. there's there's so much value in that well yeah (laughs) there definitely is and i think that like this is the tension that I have, like when we like, you know, institutionalize anything, but particularly institutionalize faith is that sometimes like those structures that like give something form are so rigid that there isn't room for, for growth, for experience, for, for this like contextual work to be done. Like, you know, kind of situated in this like specific to like within the Christian tradition, right? Like looking at Jesus, like how often did Jesus actually tell people what to do? Part of what was so dope, I think, about him and his, like, in his teaching methodology is that this cat, like, would go and, like, and talk in riddles <laughs> and, like, ask questions. But, like, it's very rare that you ever saw Jesus be like, this is this and this is that. Like, just, it, it, it yeah. I, I think Jesus, like, gives a really good model for teaching, like, encouraging people, like, to to look at stories and to, like, to unpack them. Um, yeah. I mean, so I'm like sitting here with like two feelings of like half of me is going like, yes, absolutely. Another part of me is like, that is so much work. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it absolutely is. But go ahead. I think it's, I think, no, I think it's fair to ask people like, like, do you really want to do the work? Right. So I think, you know, spiritual identity and spiritual maturation like does take work. And I was talking to this about uh, about this with a friend of mine this morning. We were talking about like Christians and the church and, you know, challenges with interpretation, because, of course, this is like what people do like in their free time. Like right. we just like talk about this because, <laughs> um, you know, me and my friends were nerdy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so she and I were having this conversation and we were going like back and forth Um speaking about like just our spiritual development over the years like she and i we met in a church like almost 10 years ago both of us were working like you know in a ministry and became like fast friends and like 
we are like theologically like nowhere near where we were when we met. And there's so much that we question and so much processing that we do. And the conversation that we had this morning led to like the space of idolatry. Right. And it's something that we don't really talk about much anymore about like what does it things mean to take, make things our idol. And I think that like a lot of people have an idolatrous faith. And I don't say that, you know, to be like, oh, you're worshiping, blah, blah, blah. Because that's like the context that we hear idolatry in. But think about what an idol is. It's like it's an artifact. It's a thing. It's something that we are able to hold on to and out of the be able to hang on to, like, you know, we give it meaning and we give it our energy. And in that sense, we do worship it. Like it becomes, you know, the like almost the center of our attentions in that. And like. So like when we look at that, like from a faith perspective, like how many people, because of not giving themselves room to fail, because of not asking questions to only being being in a position where they hold on to what they've been told versus like going through process and sitting like, you know, with the Holy Spirit and like and just really like trying to understand instead of just accepting what has been given to them have their faith in a space of idolatry. Like they can hold onto it. They can grasp it. How much more is, I, I mean, I think, not how much more. I mean, I think that there's definitely way more to, to being a person of faith, to having like a rich, mature spiritual identity that comes like with the questioning, with the willingness to screw up, to get it wrong. Because like all of those things like lend themselves to like you being in some type of continual process instead of actually having arrived somewhere. The moment that you've arrived faith-wise, you now got an idol sitting on your shelf because you can keep hold of God and of all of this mystery. And you figured out that something that from the beginning of time that no one else has been able to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like that's, that's such a temptation. Like I'm even thinking about some recent conversations I've had with people who like don't, don't agree with me on, on faith issues and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and like how how quickly I feel myself going to that like I have to have this all figured out right now, and if I don't, mm-hmm. there are like these dire consequences. And 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 with what you're saying, it's like well, no, like <laughs> there, this this processing in this this space is mm-hmm. where beautiful things happen. Absolutely, and I mean, I think some of that absolutism, quite honestly, is. A, a function of whiteness. <laughs> like, this is where I have to, like, where we speak about, like, you know, other forms of our identity, like, playing into things. Like, when, like, I start, you know, looking at, you know, things, like, I feel like there's so much room or so much more room for for mystery, like, in communities of color and in the conversations that we have. So, like, I think specific to, like, you know, theology is, like, looking at, like, theologies of liberation and, like they're just like so robust and full and 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 have like questions and challenge systems and norms. Like the like they're very queer in that like they subvert they subvert like the, what the the status quo is. And I think that that's like super important like work that needs to be done. But like when we have you know specifically like like you know in terms of like racially like this construct of whiteness, right? Like where there is this like uniformity, there is a sense of conformity, respectability. Um, this thing that's established, like it doesn't leave room for anything other than what can be held. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm like thinking about like 
how you're describing mystery and then how often, at least in a lot of the context that I grew up in, where mystery was was used as an appeal to anything that didn't fit within our belief system of like, mm-hmm. like we don't know why God set it up this way, but we have this rigid box. And mm-hmm. even though we see this question that kind of falls outside of it, that must be the mystery. And, and it's mm-hmm. all in the function of staying within this box. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you're describing something very different than a box. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of boxes. Yeah. There are so many things. <laughs> there are so many things in my life that point to that. Right. Like I was that kid in like undergrad who it's like, I'm not going to like have a regular major. I'm going to make this up myself. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I started my own nonprofit, like, and I have just like consistently, like, that's just part of like who I am is like pushing at like norms and expectations and looking for like, you know, not even new things, but like looking at, looking at how do I use the tools around me to like create meaning in the world and maybe in a way that someone else hasn't done or address a problem that hasn't, that isn't currently being being focused on like using like the tools that are around me so anyways looking at like boxes like I've been like actively kicking at the walls of my Christian box for like the last few years and and working to trust God to hold me in my questioning and in my you know critical nature right like I question everything and if I'm in a position where I question everything but can't question god then how 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 divine is that god how much of god is that god for me like if this is a god if this is my creator who i believe has given me like this like inquisitive spirit and this experimental nature and i can't apply that to my faith that there's something that's inconsistent like either with god or with me (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean it sounds like a uh, instead of like mystery as protection like a a stepping Mm -hmm. into and exploring that Mm -hmm. mystery Mm -hmm. yeah i mean and what's been dope for me um over these last few years like of of that kicking of of the exploration of that mystery is that it's pushed me to a place where i can where i can do things like prioritize relationship like you know between people and between things and ideas and like and look for the interconnected of all the interconnectedness of all these different things but it's because you know i don't know sometimes like when we are too rigid like with the structures that we put around things like we sever the ties that are there right like we're not able to like make meaning or look for those like th- those points of connectedness because like that wall that boundary actually like it, it cut it off so like we can't see like oh well this is connected to that and then that is tethered to this thing because like there's a wall like that blocks you being able to see how these things relate to each other and so sometimes that's ritual sometimes that's dogma sometimes that's hierarchies sometimes that is you know just you know manifestations of power in different ways I'm all for like seeing those things undone and like, you know, and pushing at those barriers in order to see like what's there and like get out of what's there. Like how can we work towards like wellness and, and being known to each other, to God and to ourselves, right? Like how can we be known? Yeah. I love, I love that. And I mean, that you, like you mentioned your nonprofit and that mm-hmm. that's kind of like, it seems like in a way kind of what you've committed your life to is that work yeah. of, of knowing and being known like 
could you maybe talk about a little bit like what your nonprofit is and like what you're doing and what you're hoping to to bring into the world through that? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So, oh goodness, almost three years ago now, it's like a little over two and a half years ago, um, a friend and I started a nonprofit called Center for Inclusivity, and it's a Chicago-based nonprofit that um, that we founded originally to do work at the intersection of faith, gender identity, and and sexuality, um, and asking it, like asking how do we like practically embody like inclusion, right? Like we talk about inclusion, but like what does it mean to actually see it lived? And the neat thing about starting a nonprofit and then actually like continuing on in the work is that like your vision grows. And while we definitely pay attention to to those things, like what's been on my heart more is like as executive director is like how do we like tangibly tangibly like see intersectional equity like be a thing and like how can like communities and and conversations like be leveraged to to see us work towards that end and so what we do with center for inclusivity is we host public forums for dialogue given people who may share in identity or maybe have like vastly different identities we give them the opportunity to sit down and just like talk to one another and so that talking sometimes happens through something like we do this thing called open gathering where we throw a topic of conversation out there invite people into a space to have you know some talk around that um we host something called no agenda dinner and so like it's just what it sounds like it's a dinner with no agenda like you show up you buy food you eat but you have the opportunity to like to connect with people in authentic community, like at least once a month, like you don't have to be alone and you can get to know people like for real, for real. Um, and sometimes it happens like through something like karaoke. <laughs> so <laughs> tomorrow night, um, I'm actually going to be hosting a, a karaoke night, just giving people like who are, who come from like all different backgrounds. So some of them are queer and some of them are straight and some of them are people of faith, like whether they be like, you know, Christian or Buddhist or, or what have you. And some people like don't ascribe to any faith tradition. Um, folks coming from all different like economic backgrounds. Sometimes we don't speak about economic inclusivity, but like one of the things that we had done with this event in particular is made sure that it was free of charge. Like we took care of the bill in order for people having all types of, you know, economic realities, like giving them the opportunity to sit and be a part of like community. Um, like we can talk all day about, I think, justice, right? And like all these like ways that justice shows up or doesn't show up in the world. But at some point, like we need to have conversations about how we relate to one another and how that relationship impacts like the work of justice. And I think that's kind of what like, you know, Center for Inclusivity has done and, and is continuing to do. Um, it's helping people talk to one another. <laughs> And, and that itself, like, being, like, work of resistance and justice work. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing this this very real sense of, uh, like, the interconnectedness of of, mm-hmm. of people, but, of, of like, of all things, and mm-hmm. this this real emphasis on relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how, I mean, it sounds like I mean, you mentioned, like, the work of resistance, like, Mm-hmm. I feel like if those things are prioritized, mm-hmm. this like things can't help but change if 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 those things are true. I believe so. I mean, so much there's so much research out there that supports this. Like part of people start giving a crap about one another, like when they're able to see like the the bond, right? Like the relationship, the the connection that they have to another person. So like when we look at, you know, people who 
who are suddenly concerned with like, you know, racial equality and racial equity. It's because they had an experience or know someone, someone that they were invested in and cared with had an experience that like catalyzed them to be a part of that. But they saw that something was wrong. They saw that there was like, that that there was like a a relational, like, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? That there was some type of like dysfunction that was present, but you can only see dysfunction like in relationship, like you don't have an opportunity to see outside of relationship. You just don't. And so when people commit themselves like to this work, right, to seeing people have, you know, access to spaces that are inclusive and that celebrate their voice and that prioritize their voices and, you know, looking to to see legislation, you know, enacted that like allows for people to have like truly equal rights. It's because there's something relationally that happened that made space for them to have the reality or, or the realization that something was wrong in the first place. And then out of that wrongness, like there needs to be some type of like brightness that we work towards. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like I, I think about this idea of I'm thinking like the in theological terms of like the, how the work of the Holy Spirit is a, is a communal work. Um, and and mm-hmm. this sounds like a, a very real manifestation of that communal work of people coming together and God being among them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's part of what it is for me, right? So before I started the nonprofit, like when I ended up like kind of on this leg of my journey, like moving to Chicago, um, where I live right now, and starting grad school. So I got a master's in social justice. Um, but the thing, the thing that like made me want to study justice is looking at like it, really the accessibility of like of love, right? Like the people have access to the love of God and not in some like frou-frou, like disembodied way. Like I wanted to like, I wanted people to like know God's love because like they were treated equitably in this space and like see the things that would be a disruption like to that love, to these, this full rich life that I think that like God would have us have, that God's heart like wants for us. Like I, I wanted to see like that be realized, be manifest somehow like through the work of justice yeah, so it's kind of, you know, it's why I care about all this stuff so much. Like, God in God's self, I think, is relational. God is rela- in relationship with us, which would lead us to believe that we should be in relationship with one another. And if there's anything disrupting that sense of relationship, we need to put in that work. We need to be committed to, like, doing whatever we can to to enter right relationships with one another. And I'm I'm curious about like I'm thinking about hearing you talk about this, and then I'm also thinking about all the different maybe like lines that um, I, I'm going to say we often draw, but it may be more specific to say maybe whiteness. I, I imagine whiteness plays into it um, a lot, but these lines of like um, religion, or I mean, even like you know sexuality or, or dogma or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, your center for inclusivity is like. Is not just a, a Christian organization. You, you bring <laughs> not by in, any means. Yeah, you bring in so much, and I'm curious if you could maybe talk about that. Like, I, I think the like pluralism, but I, I don't know if that would be the right the right word. But like, how relationship drives us outside of those lines that that at least some of us or some church bodies draw. Yeah, so um, we're very intentionally at the Center for Inclusivity. Um, 
non-sectarian. <laughs> um, and it's because we understand that there are very few places where people can go and like genuinely connect with one another and bring the like bring the fullness of their selves and their identities and their stories in a way that doesn't give preferential option to like any one particular group. And so like, you know, there are places out there that, you know, do justice work, but they do Christian justice work, which means that they don't, you know, elevate or, or prioritize at all the perspectives of, you know, people from other religious communities or who don't have faith identities at all. And everything that they do, you know, works out of that Christianity, but it means that, you know, maybe, hey, it means that other voices are silenced. And I think that that's part of why, like, I believe in doing the work in the way that I do it, and that the center does the work in the way that, that we've done it, is in order, it's to give people kind of an, an equal space to be able to, like, lend their perspectives, to lend their experiences, to share out of their journeys and out of their identities, and know that they're going to be as celebrated for, you know, being Muslim as they would be for being Buddhist or Christian or being agnostic or being atheist. Like they know, like, you know, regardless of what identity they hold, whether it be a faith identity or racial identity, you know, a sexual or, or a gender identity, that they're going to be celebrated. Like they're going to be cared for. They're going to be loved. And I think that that's important. There aren't that many spaces, at least that I've encountered in the world where, People are like, nah, like we're really, we're really gonna put in this work to to honor us all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because I think, like on on one hand, there's like this this sense of where that that I th- I think we have this kind of like uh, this idea of like unification is and in, in coming together. I think in that kind of way, like that sounds like like idyllic um, and. Uh, the, like senses I, I i'm trying to make a distinguishment here between like between between like that idyllic sense of like unification and and what you're talking about of like it's is you're putting in the work to mm-hmm. create that space um and, yeah. and it's not this kind of frou-frou idea of like oh everyone's going to come together and we'll be fine but it's it's a very intentional effort on everyone's behalf to create and craft those spaces yeah, and it's and it's and it's not easy at all. Mm-hmm. Because like part of what happens in like in those idyllic spaces that are frou-frou and it's just like we are the world, we are children. But what ends up going down is that there's a erasure that takes place in those spaces. Like there are people who don't get seen and you know, and organizations or entities like don't they even if they hear that like somebody's not feeling prioritized, that they're not being cared for, that they're uh, th- their perspectives aren't being brought to to center and being celebrated. They don't actually cor- like work to correct it all the time. So, but I think that like you know, like relationship, like inc- real inclusive community building. I mean, because that's the, what we do. It's hard because it means that things are constantly shifting. There is like such fluidity to that work. <laughs> And in ways like where you have to like do like as a, a facilitator or as a leader in a space, like you have to constantly do introspection and like and challenge your biases and challenge the biases of of people in the space in order for people to actually feel included and for to not just this be a place where like where some ele- some some like ideas and some personhoods are elevated above one another like 
it's hard. It's very hard work, but it's possible. I think so, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about like how how you would say like that that commitment to to like inclusivity. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, how that interacts with like your faith and what what you would like kind of hold as like deeply felt beliefs. How does mm-hmm. that work when you when you're like bringing yourself to that space because i because i feel like often sometimes we feel like when we when we jump into these like conversations about inclusivity like we can feel like we have to give up and Mm -hmm. we do have to give up a lot Mm -hmm. but there's also like that sense of like Mm -hmm. uh, where where are my my boundaries of like what i believe in and and who i like how i guess i'm curious like how how does it interplay when we we start bringing our full selves to to Mm -hmm. those spaces of of does does that question make yeah, sense? No, I get what you're oh. doing. no, it does. It does. Um, it's it's hard. Okay, so like one of the things that I shared that is for every space that we have that's fully inclusive, that we also need affinity spaces because I guess we work to be like authentic and, and to bring our full selves into a space. But the reality is that part of part of the work of inclusivity is under or, or part of the work that it requires is understanding that yes, this space is about me, but it's also about us, and so there are sometimes where I need to be conscious of how I enter into this space in order for someone else to still have room. And so there, and this is why like affinity space is like so brilliant because like we have like, you know, different elements of our identity that we can talk about with people who come from like, you know, a very similar space. Right. So, you know, the way that like I'll talk about, I'm trying to think of like which of my identities am I going to go on here. So like the way that I'll talk about like my blackness, right? Like as a black woman in a space with other like black people, it's not the same way that I'm necessarily going to show up in an inclusive space. And it's not because I'm being inauthentic. It's because I understand that there are people holding other identities there. So if I go like on and on and on about my blackness and and talk about things like consistently and like and I just like I fill up the space that it means that my Latinx family and that my like you know native family and my Asian folks and even like white friends don't have the ability to share their experiences like we don't really get anywhere if we all if we're all consuming and like and dumping all of our things there so like yes it's definitely it's critical for us to be authentic and to share in a way that, you know, protects and honors, but also still makes room for, for other people to share their perspectives and their journeys. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, inclusive space, I don't think, can function well without affinity. Like the two, I mean, again, it's 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 relational. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sounds like this, this, this interplay and this mix of, on one hand, having having space where you can go deep into your identity in, in those, mm-hmm. like, affinity spaces and be able to start learning how to like open that to, to hold it with an openness of where you mm-hmm. can then enter into these these spaces and, and create space for others as well even in that rootedness mm-hmm. because i mean that's what i mean that, i mean i think that's what inclusive spaces should be offering it's not what it does because inclusivity like many other words like intersectionality like they, they become buzzwords to us but like when it means to be inclusive, it means to include. And like, and if you are the only person like centered in that space, then you're not including anybody. Like there's give and take, there's reciprocity, there's mutuality in inclusive spaces, or at least there should be. I'm just like sitting with that, that vision. And I think, and I think the, the beauty in that and, and thinking about like 
in our faith communities and in in our spaces of queerness and and in all those intersecting identities that we sit in like what what it looks like to step into that like that kind of like radical commitment towards space um Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I mean, I think, and people may disagree with me, and that's that's fine. <laughs> um, because it's it, like it's in sometimes in disagreement where we come to like fuller ideas and we grow. But I think that if we don't prioritize examining how relationships and how how we're oriented in relationship to like to each other, to our values and ideas, to place and space, like if we don't like look at the role of relationship in the world then we're always going to be a little bit anemic in our understandings of justice and what is just because there's a relation like injustice happens because like there's relational disruption something's not right in how like we're relating to ourselves or to the space that we're in or the environment or to god like there there's something happening there that needs to change Mm -hmm. yeah there's like i'm I'm just even noticing in this in this conversation like a a sense of discomfort and not like a sense of like this is wrong, but like the discomfort in like the amount of of how it takes us out of our out of ourselves in a way that that like that kind of discomfort that feels like like growth and change um yeah. and and how like disorienting and yet beautiful yeah. that kind of is that that mix of, of being in it um Mm -hmm. we're like we're not used to being present right Mm -hmm. like i think and it requires a whole lot of presence and not like you know being too focused on progression or too focused on like what happened in the past like there's like this balance that has to take place it's really hard because we haven't done it and we don't have really good models for it like at least I, like not that I've encountered. And again, like I'm open to being proven wrong. Like maybe somebody out there has like created something that like I've never experienced that like where people have done this like systemically and socially and they've gotten it right. But I think at least in an American social context, right? Like I have to talk about like, what does it mean to be in the US in 2018? I don't know if this is, I don't know if we know how to relate to one another. Like I was recently in a space um, where I actually unexpectedly ended up facilitating. And the reason why I facilitated, ended up facilitating is um, there were some things that had happened there. And um, and it became clear that people needed to speak about, like, what does it mean for us to, like, establish, like, rules for engagement so that this space is protective of all of us? So, like, I know lots of folks talk about safe space. Like, that's not my jam. Um, I believe in protective space. Like, what does it mean for us to enter into this space and commit to protecting one another because safety is arbitrary. Safety can go away. Anything can disrupt the safety, but there is a consciousness and a way that we can like commit to one another, that we can enter into like this kind of relational pact in this space to, to try to minimize the harm that will, will happen here because we're going to be conscious and we're going to be present to one another and to our needs. And it requires us, you know, talking about that. But anyways, so so this is the work that I ended up doing in this space. Like after, you know, there was like a little like just challenges that had arisen in different places. We had a conversation about what does it mean to like make this space a protected space and how have people not felt protected? And it was like the first time like in years that like people had been invited into like that type of conversation. But it's something that isn't prioritized. prioritized. Even in the most justice oriented of spaces, 
folks aren't talking about. Like, what does it mean for you to walk out of this space and me to walk out of this space and us not to be covered in, like, you know, verbal shrapnel and, like, all types of wounding? If we don't talk about it, like, how are we going to protect each other? How are we going to care for one another? How do I know what's care for you? How do you know what's care for me if we're not in conversation? It it sounds like a... A, a commitment to actually having those conversations of like, and the particularity of how that looks different for every single person involved. Oh yeah. And that's, I think <laughs> that's, I think that's part of why like this is so hard to get at because it means that people are, there. there is no, there is no arrival. We love, 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 love to be like, I got it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like the whole, like, the whole deal around the phenomenon phenomenon of being woke TM, right? Like to be woke means that I'm I'm conscious. Okay, that's cute and all, but like actually, consciousness is a process. Like you are constantly awaking. Like you have not arrived anywhere. But like that goes back to like what we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of like idolatry. Like when you think you have it all in hand, when you think that like there's this absolute truth that you've arrived at, the majority of things in life. Eh, like you're missing the point. Like you're missing that there's still more work to be done, and that not everything like neatly fits into every context. That you have to continue this process of getting to know people and beginning to know space, and to like understanding like what are the values that undergird and like and and and, and that shape this environment. And if you don't do that, like then you do end up perpetuating harm, even if it's unintentional. A particular experience just came to mind of like in your workshop of like you, you split us up into small, smaller groups um, mm-hmm. and, and how each one of us, I think entered into like, we were, we were talking about sexual ethics and there was such a, in, in my little group, there was such a mix of, of us from older people to younger people to white people and, and black people and, and, and such a mix in, and we, we were all coming in with, with different views. And I think mm-hmm. the way that the conversation transpired um, there was change in our group by the end of of that hour, hour and a half of like, I, I, like I, I have a hard time even kind of describing what it, what felt like happened, but it, there was an openness I think that was created as as you kind of led us through this creation of protective space. Um, mm-hmm. That was really neat to see happen um, in. I, I think all of, all of that to say is like, I, I feel like I have from that experience of being in that group with you, I feel like I have an embodied experience of that actually being possible. Like maybe, maybe not as an arrival of like it happened, but mm-hmm. as like the process was, was, was happening. Um, mm-hmm. that was... That's super encouraging for me to hear. <laughs> like, especially like, like us being in that room and like, so as a facilitator, let me just tell you, I was freaking out. Mm. I was so freaked out because like so many people came to this session and I'm so used to being able to be like, hmm, like to floating around being able to like, to sit with each of the groups and like, and to like ask questions and just kind of see where people are and like kind of have a gauge of like, well, what else do we need to add here facilitation wise? And so like knowing, knowing, I mean, this is even like kind of a a growing, like an area of growth for me, like trusting the process where like, these are the things that I've done. But where we are right now doesn't facilitate like me being able to do that, <laughs> that thing that I've done, like, and just being okay with it. Like, you, I mean, your words right now are letting me know, like the process can be trusted. 
so long as like we put these like these kind of basic guidelines like we have these like conversational tools like there folks can be okay Mm -hmm. yeah and Uh, even if we're coming in with a radically different strongly held beliefs like mm -hmm. yeah like yeah (laughs) i mean it happened like i I watched it happen and Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so i think that's that's part of what encourages me because i've seen it happen too Mm -hmm. and i've even seen it like you know happen in a way that has like definitely helped like me personally so um i've had you know people that i care about like family members and like really close friends you know a happenstance or whatever you would call it like be in in spaces that I was facilitating, right? And, you know, one person in particular that I'm thinking of is, you know, or was rather, very, like, explicitly, like, expressively, like, against LGBTQ equity. It's just, like, why is gay stuff being, like, forced down our throats? And this, this, and this. And, like, and they were just, like, very, very clear in, in, and feeling, you know, some sort of way about, like, you know, queer and trans folks. And I remember, like, they had been in, I don't even remember what the session was, but it was, like, a session that I had um, facilitated somewhere. And, like, there were all of these people with different experiences in this space with them. And some of the harm that people experienced, like, within our community was expressed there. And it was a even though, like, because of our relationship, like, I had said, like, hey, like, these are things that happen. Then being there with someone who talked about, like, like some very, um, just some very, like, deep, sad, really, like, terrible things that they had seen happen to, um, to queer and trans folks in their world. Like, this person was, like, pushed into, like, a place of, like, consideration that they had never, been, like, had before. Like, never. Like, I mean, and this is someone, like, who I know really well. And I remember, like, the conversations that we had after the fact, and they were just like, oh, my God, like, I just, it just ne- never clicked for me. Like, I never realized, like, this is what happens, like, to people who are LGBTQ. Oh, my God. But it, it was that sharing of the story and a setting, you know, the space that was protective and them being in a place, like, where they listened. Like, just getting people in those spaces, like, it really does change. I mean, like, this person, now, I'm not going to say that they're, like, some type of, like, queer trans advocate. Like, that's not necessarily where they are, but they are are more empathetic than what they used to be and are actually like a bit of a, like a catalyzing like force for people to consider like how they treat you know lgbt folks like within like their community because of this experience that they had in a space <laughs> where people could just share that's what pushed them to like consider what justice was for that community yeah it was the relationship mm. maybe maybe to end um mm-hmm. uh, like how uh, like uh, I know there's a lot that goes into crafting these spaces, but for maybe people who are like, whose interest is peaked on like, how can I maybe try to start incorporating this way of being in the communities that I exist in? Do you have any like (laughs) quick ideas? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think. Oh God. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to like, to like distill this down in like, I don't know, like in curriculum form and book form. I mean, there's like so much here, but 
if we're gonna like look at like first steps, like one of the the I think greatest gifts that anyone ever gave me was a professor of mine, like when I was in in grad school, he he shared that one of the things that we have to do in life is consider who is present, who is missing, and start interrogating why that might be the case. And that's like one of those things that like that that I do like when I consider like, you know, what is, you know, what does it mean for a space to be inclusive and like, you know, what is the nature of these relationships and like, you know, and why is a relational like, you know, challenge or dysfunction or or, or whatever here. Like I like I, I go back to that question. All right, so like who are the players? Like who's involved? Who are all the people that who could potentially be here but who aren't? <laughs> What has happened? Like, what are the histories? Like, you know, what are the, like, kind of overarching, you know, things that are happening socially? Like, yeah, and then just ask questions. But be careful to ask questions when you were actually in relationship with people. Just don't go asking people, like, out on the street, like, random-ass questions. Like, that's, like, a bad look. Um, but, yeah, like, be, be curious. Be curious and ask these questions about who's there, who's not, and why that might be the case. I think that's a good first step. Yeah. And I feel like that's a step that can probably, like, like you said, like carry you through and into that work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're going to learn a lot. Like when you start asking those questions of yourself and then, you know, having formed relationship with other people, like you start asking it of them, you'll start seeing, right? I mean, like in, in looking at spaces, you know, to give a specific example, um, when I started asking those questions of like religious minorities or just people who aren't a part of like Christian culture, which is like the dominant culture, like within our context. Oh my gosh. It made me so sensitive to like how someone like, like holding a Christian identity, how I showed up in a space and like, what does it mean to like, you know, to make room for them at the table? Like, what does it mean to like, you know, be intentional about like, about like people's high holy days and about, you know, you know, customs, like, of, of another person's, like, uh, of their, their faith, faith tradition. Like, we, it's not a part, it wasn't a part of my consciousness. And because it wasn't a part of my consciousness, it means that this person can't be, like, included at the table because I wasn't thinking about them. And I wasn't showing them that they were thought of, so why would they be there? Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much, Alicia. Yeah. This is, thank you. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, me may we ever walk forward into those spaces um yes go sign it amen (laughs) (laughs) you can keep up with alicia's work over at chasingthepromise.net she's on facebook twitter and instagram at alicia t crosby and if you're in the chicago area check out her center for inclusivity uh at centerforinclusivity.org even if you're not in chicago check it out Quirology is on Twitter and Instagram at QuirologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is produced with support from Natalie England and other Patreon supporters. Head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to find out more. Another really easy way to support Quirology is by leaving a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I love to hear from you. If you have ideas about what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye.
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.